Hi, Sam. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, I'm getting a, a majority report angle. Nice. Do you want? Just, uh, do you want something different? <laughs> no, this seems uh, highly apropos. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, I wanted to just quickly talk a little bit. I don't know uh, if you've been following uh, everyday politics for a living or anything like that uh, and uh, been seeing what's going on, but I wanted to get your take on the entire uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, tour uh, that's going on right now. I, I, I have absolutely no idea why she's doing this. I don't see any value to it whatsoever. You know, um, I can speculate, but uh, my guess is um, it is a favor for some wealthy donor. That, okay. I mean, that's my speculation. I, I, otherwise, I can't understand why she's doing it. The, the president has asked her not to do it. The Pentagon has asked her not to do it. Um, I, I, I can't in a million years think that she thinks there's some value to Democrats at large to do this. Um, and I think it's just um, incendiary. I just don't understand what the what the 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 value of it is. So I, you know, beyond that, I I don't know what else to say. Like I, the 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 most obvious. Uh, I I don't even know what the most obvious answer is. Like I you know I I don't know. I really is, don't know. Is that typical though for a situation like this that has such high stakes for the president of the United States to be saying publicly he thinks it's a bad idea? And yet you'd still have the Speaker of the House engage in something of this nature. No, it, it's not typical. It's it's certainly not typical for somebody from your own party to do that. I mean, there have been times like when I think I feel like I remember like, you know, McCain and uh, Lindsey Graham going to, um, you know, uh, to Syria as a way of or, or you know, uh, or, or engaging. Maybe I, I can't remember exactly where it was. Uh, where they, you know, trying to convince Obama to uh, fund more uh, Syria more aggressively or something like that. Um, and there's been occasions where uh, you have uh, members of the opposite party really trying to, you know, box in the, the, the president in some way. But this is pretty um, atypical, without a doubt. Um, um, I, I just... I have no idea what the theory is here. Maybe, may, you know, I guess it's conceivable that, uh, I, I mean, if I really, really wanted to, uh, you know, uh, stretch my imagination, I guess outside of like a, a donor saying that she should go or, um, the, the, that it's conceivable that, the U S government wants to send, uh, mixed signals, like imply that, um, that even if the president wanted to not fight over Taiwan, that there is enough sort of like sentiment within the country that he would be obligated to, I get, I guess that's conceivable, but that seems like really sort of twisted logic. But I, you know, largely, I think that we see more or less shadows of what is going on within mm. our government. And I think that th there's no area that's more true than that than foreign policy. What have been your uh, 
your review or thoughts of, say, the Biden administration's foreign policy up until now? Um, not great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like the in in the in the biggest the biggest measure of the well, um, I guess the biggest measure of that would be I think their failure to secure a new uh, deal with Iran. I think that should have happened much earlier. I think that they, for whatever reason, that they've been holding out. Um, I think uh, it inhibited their dynamic with uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel. I don't, um, I, you know, I understand that the, he's nervous about inflation. And so he's got to go to Saudi Arabia to, to get uh, cheaper oil. You know, now that everything else uh, failed in terms of like, you know, moving the country into any type of different direction. I also think I mean, I think he was. um, He deserves some credit for being at least initially reluctant to get involved uh, too deeply with Ukraine. I worry that that is getting a little bit um, uh, that that has gotten out of hand, that we're, we're spending way too much money, in my estimation. I mean, I understand that uh, Ukraine wants um uh support and i think you know i'm not necessarily oh yeah you know i i I think ukraine let me put this way ukraine doesn't deserve to be invaded any more than any other country does absolutely and um i can understand you know from at least certain quarters uh in in this country the value of weakening uh russia and their military strength, which I think this has become, I mean, very early on in this conflict, we played a, a clip of Hillary Clinton where she was sort of like promoting our getting more engaged in this. And I had a concern in the way that she was talking, that there was a belief that this could be Russia's version of what Afghanistan was to the Soviet Union. And, um, and I'm afraid that's what it has become. It's also, you know, hard to say to Ukraine to the extent that we can get a to the extent that we can get a sense of what the Ukrainian people uh, want. It appears that they want weapons and they don't want to be invaded and they don't want to cede territory uh, to Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, um, I don't know what the number is or the amount of military hardware that uh, we should give a country in that instance. Um, You know, obviously it's like going to a negotiated settlement and you want to strengthen the the weaker party or the party that's been invaded to sort of like, you know, maybe bring the other party to the table. It's unclear to me that that has been the agenda as much as it is like, let's just degrade – Russia's capacity, um, you know, really essentially for as long as uh, Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukrainians have tolerance to do so. Mm-hmm. And that seems to me to be a pretty brutal policy, but it's also sort of like, um, you know, if that's what the Ukrainians want, but uh, frankly, like to spend the tens of billions of dollars, maybe, oh, sorry, hundreds of billions of dollars that we're spending, I think is too much. Is it um, hundreds of billions? I don't know if we're, what we're at now, but it's it's sort of hard to measure because they're taking it from like multiple different budget lines, it appears. Yeah. 
I know this is going to seem incredibly strange uh, given the seriousness of this topic, but uh, on Twitch, uh, we just got a giant raid. So thank you, Abelina, Sabrina, with the uh, message. Hi, Sam. Uh, and Do, uh, uh, Are we in a hype train? Did we get to a uh, hype train? No, no, we're not on a hype train. We're just, uh, we just got a well, really big grade. So just, I, I, I don't know. I, it's just one of those days, Sam. I don't know what to say, you know? Um, wait, wait, I come on and there's no hype train? <laughs> the instant Sam Cedar hype train. <laughs> it's the only reason I invited you on. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit, I don't know what's going on with the surf's community, but that's a little disturbing. No hype train? All right. <laughs> um, could I ask you uh, about a domestic policy? What uh, what exactly is uh, your thoughts on this new mansion deal? Because I know people like the fact that it's in bad faith because the Republicans play very dirty. So that's uh, what everyone's celebrating. But it's kind of got what I'm reading are time bombs for climate change uh, encoded within. Um. You know, we were just talking about this today. I don't even know if we actually ended up talking about it on the show, but there's, there's a, there's a, I mean, I think like the get is as good as it's going to get, uh, with mansion. Mm -hmm. There is, you know, I, I think to the extent that there's any leverage with mansion, it really is just like, um, Joe Biden saying, um, you know, somebody should investigate what went on when you were governor of, of West Virginia. <laughs> and like, how did your daughter get uh, so much largesse? Um, mm. I, I imagine maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe Biden's nervous about those type of investigations. But aside from that, there's no leverage because every time he craps on the Democratic Party, his poll numbers go up in West Virginia. Yeah. Um, I think um, I... I I, the there's a side deal with um, Mansion, and the side deal. Where do I have it? The side deal. It's an interesting thing. It basically says we're going to open up these leases, uh, more leases uh, for drilling, and really, I think a lot of that is really just to uh, pave the way for a specific West Virginia project that Mansion wants. Uh, a pipeline there, I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, that bill needs 60 votes. Okay. And um, as far as like climate activists say, they, they say room. net, net, it's still a good deal overall. Well, well, it's still a net positive. Okay. So if you take away what comes from the mansion, sort of like easing of other uh, uh, climate issues and the, and the money that is um, focused on, you know, uh, promoting electric vehicles and, um, and, and creating more wind farms and uh, solar farms, et cetera, et cetera. Supposedly that's a net. And I accept, your like, room. you know, climate activist assessment of these things. I, you know, I'm not in a position to sort of like make that assessment better than they are. Um, but mm -hmm. that's what most, most of these organizations, organizations are, are saying. So, um, uh, I, I think it's probably woefully insufficient. Uh, I think, you know, even cutting our emissions by 40% by 20, uh, I think it was 2030. So 2030 is the benchmark. I, I, I need to, to check my notes, but, um, Clean up your Which room. is, I think, 10% less than, than Biden had said originally that we would cut by, by 50%. I, I think that's largely going to be insufficient, but um, something is, is better than nothing until we get a better situation.
But the interesting thing about uh, Manchin side deal is it needs 60 votes. Mm-hmm. I don't know the sequencing, whether the reconciliation bill comes first and then this other bill. I, I would imagine in the Senate, you won't have any defections on room. the Democratic side. Maybe, maybe Bernie, because mm-hmm. he's pissed. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the real question is, will you get 10 Republicans um, after they're supposedly pissed at Manchin? Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I don't know how many Democratic, um, uh, you know, sort of defections you'll get. I, it's also hard for me to imagine it passing in the House. Mm-hmm. But, you know, clean up your room. It's it's very I, I I think as we get closer to the election, you will see more of a chance for, you know, people to basically screw over Manchin because it is beginning to look increasingly like the Democrats may not only hold the Senate, but may pick up a seat or two. That looks increasingly possible. Fetterman looks like he's going to beat Oz. Yes. Um, you know, Johnson and Barnes, it's conceivable in Wisconsin. Um, Arizona looks like, uh, you know, I think uh, Kelly, I think, is going to hold on there. In New Hampshire, uh, Hassan uh, uh, is going to, I think, going to hang on there. I think Warnock's going to hang on. Uh, so there could be a pickup or two. You know, yeah, that's and, the most I mean, optimistic outlook I've heard of anyone on the left say about the upcoming election. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I think it's likely they're going to lose the House. But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm just looking at the polling right now. And I think the trajectory is going in the right direction. There was a poll by uh, Suffolk USA Today two days ago. And I think it must overstate the case, but they took a similar poll. In, in mid-June, after the leak of the uh, the Alito um, brief, or I should say um, uh, uh, ruling, and um, they found that uh, only 29% of Democrats were um, sure they were going to vote. And now they just took that poll, it's like 65% say oh. they're sure they're going to vote? Now, that seems to me to be like, like, like almost like impossible to believe jump. Uh, but if it's even remotely close to that, um, and then you look at like the, 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 the candidates they have, like Herschel Walker is, you know, uh, I mean, uh, Dr. Oz, I mean, these guys are bad candidates. Yeah. Uh, Ron Johnson's, you know, always been a moron, but he's done well there. But, uh, Mandela Barnes, I think is, uh, could be very strong in Wisconsin. I mean, could, you know, it's really how much of a vote comes out is really going to be a big issue. And, um, but in New Hampshire, like I say, uh, Maggie Hassan looks like she's okay. Uh, looks like it. Mark Kelly, you know, like if Blake Masters becomes uh, the nominee, you know, this is a dude who's like talking about maybe we should roll back contraceptives, you know, and yeah. Uh, so we'll see. But he's going to have a bunch of teal money. So um, 
and Glenn Beck will be, I mean, Glenn uh, Greenwald, excuse me, will be down there, I'm sure, campaigning for him. Or, <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, you know, it remains to be seen. But um, I, I don't think it's inconceivable, particularly if the Democrats hold, let's put it this way, if they hold the Senate, I think they have an opportunity to pick up one or two. I think it's going to go one way or the other. Let's put it that way. Well, what are your thoughts on uh, cinema kind of being the bad guy? But I've heard people on the left also say that there's just always a bad guy of the hour. Like things can't take place unless there is one or two obstructionists. Do you buy into that at all? Or do you think that uh, the solution really is to continuously give and push for Democrats to have as many potential seats as possible? Um, do do I think that she'll be the bad guy in terms of this reconciliation deal or just like going forward? I, I would say going forward in general, right? It's usually Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are the two no votes on crucial uh, right, know, bills. Right. Well, Manchin, like I say, he's in a, you know, plus 50 Trump state. His his poll numbers have gone up like 17 percent since um, he did all this cinema. Not so much. Yeah. And and her whole strategy is to sort of like rebuild John McCain's coalition, but doing it as a Democrat, which I think um, is a fool's errand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the results of the Republican primary and the results of the general election will if they go in the way that I I'm assuming, which is Blake masters wins and, uh, and then Mark Kelly wins. Um, if that's the case, I think she's going to have to make some recalculations because, um, she's not going to want to alienate, uh, the Democrats. Like, you know, she's going to need, it's at one point she's going to have to realize like, this is not going to work for me um, oh. in, in Arizona if she wants, you know, maybe she doesn't want to be an elected, uh, maybe she doesn't want to be senator anymore. But I don't know what she thinks her job's going to be. You know, if she thwarts the Democrats over and over again, she's going to have a tough time being a lobbyist for the Senate. Mm-hmm. Right. Because everybody's going to see her and be like, oh, you're the asshole who, you know, made me have to raise an extra four hundred thousand dollars in my state because i had to you know justify why you were a bad person or something and why you wouldn't let anything go through i mean so i don't know i I, you know i think she could turn out to be a problem uh continue to be one but without the cover of mansion and if there's a different dynamic it's going to be trickier let's put it that way Okay, so you're the most positive person I've interviewed uh, about the upcoming election. And I'm not saying that in any way is a bad thing. It's actually kind of neat because I wanted to know, do you think Roe v. Wade is one of the biggest things that has been turning uh, the tide in terms of that increase in people saying they were actually going to get out and vote, like that that rise to 67% amongst Democrats? I mean, I, I, I if that number's accurate, the mm-hmm. answer is yes. Okay. And, and, and believe me, I'm surprised by it too. You know, uh, we did a live show in Boston in... May after the leak mm-hmm. and um, uh, had Natalie Sure on. She's a writer. I'm sure you're familiar with her. And yeah. um, she had just written a piece. I think it was in the New Republic arguing that uh, it's not going to help Republicans and it's not going to help Democrats because of who these abortion bans impact, at least on a state level right now. And it's mm-hmm. mostly uh, poor women. Mm-hmm. And um, 
uh, or, or poorer people, you know, who can, who can get pregnant. And, um, and her theory was that it wasn't going to have an impact and that did not sound unreasonable to me. I mean, like, you know, it's just a prediction one way or another, but like I say, if you look at this poll, uh, the Suffolk USA today poll, it just came out a couple of days ago. If you look at the generic ballot, something has changed over the past 45 days significantly. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that, um, no, this is energized, uh, the biggest voting block in the democratic party, which is women. And, um, you know, broadly speaking, mm-hmm. and, um, if that maintains, which I, I suppose it could wane, but I don't know why it would, because Things the only thing that's going to start happening is that there's like right now, uh, this is again off the top of my head. I had it today, but approximately, I think seven states that are, that have already banned abortion. There's another four, I think that have it about a six week, uh, abortion ban. There'll be another two. Once their court proceedings go through, we'll have an abortion ban. Then there's going to be. I doubt any of these Republican-controlled uh, states will try and pass a, a, a ban before November, but there's going to be talk about it. And then there's also going to be, you know, most of the reporting we've had about um, how uh, women and people who can get pregnant uh, lives are have been endangered by uh, pregnancy. For the most part, they've come out of Texas. Now, we had that one out of Ohio with the with the girl. Ten-year-old yep. girl who had to go to Indiana, uh, but most of them come out of Texas because Texas had like a four or five-month uh, jump, uh, or really like a, I guess a six-month jump start on this, you know, because of their ban. But we're going to start hearing more and more stories coming from these eleven states because the exceptions to these rules are, the, the, it, <clears throat> they they might sound good to some people in theory, but in practice they don't function. There's Mm -hmm. no, you don't walk into a hospital with like a meter on your head. Like I am this close to threatening my life because of this pregnancy, right? right? Like, and what's the cutoff? The doctor's got to go talk to the lawyer in the hospital. And, uh, the, the lawyer said, because the lawyer's not a doctor, they'll say something like, you know, a 40% chance of, uh, life threatening. Like, how do I measure that? Like, I don't know. Um, you know, like there's no, you know, you can make, you can say this medical treatment has a 90% survival rate or whatever, but that's all data from the past. You can't, you can't look at somebody and say, you're going to have a 90%, uh, survival rate. Um, you know, like, you know, if we perform this operation or we hold off on this operation, like, you know, there's just no way to make that assessment. Rape and incest. I'm sorry. These exceptions don't work in practice because you got to wait for a trial to establish that you have been raped. Like what's like, what, like, how do we assess that? And, uh, without there being a trial, well, a trial is going to take some time. Like it's going to be more dangerous, uh, for the women. I mean, so, um, this is, uh, I think, I think there's going to be more and more stories going up to the election. So if that polling is correct, I, I think, um, 
I, I think the Democrats actually might do far better than anticipated, which, you know, again, there's headwinds, but the generic ballot is the generic ballot, uh, you know, polling. And so, uh, I, you know, uh, we'll see. But I think there's I think there is, um, you know, room for optimism as to what's going to happen, at least in the Senate. Do you feel uh, and maybe agree with Clarence Thomas that, you know, removing the protectionism under the under undue burden clause is going to lead to the erosion of a bunch of other uh, civil rights in the U.S. Uh, because of the way the Supreme Court is now? And I just want to add a second part to that. What are your thoughts on how to change that system just in case, like, you know, the weird combination that you have now where the Heritage Foundation basically is controlling the U.S. through the Supreme Court? is Are, are you someone who wants to stack it or something like that? Um, I do think that the court is going to move on to contraceptive contraception. I think they're going to move on to, uh, marriage equality without a doubt in my mind. I think they'll even go with, uh, uh, the reversal of loving, uh, which is the case that, that basically said it was unconstitutional, uh, anti-miscegenation laws are unconstitutional. I actually think that's going to end up being like the least controversial of them, because what's going to happen is they're going to rule that. And then every state in the country is going to be like it's uh, interracial marriage is fine. Yeah. But I think there's going to be states. I don't know how many. That are going to ultimately roll back marriage equality. Um, I think they're going to be uh, states that outlaw certain types of contraception contraception, or say that it uh, doesn't have to be covered by health insurance or, you know, on and on. Um, I also think that if the Republicans get control of the House and the Senate and the presidency in 2024, which I don't think is inconceivable, um, that they will pass a federal ban on abortion in this country. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, let me put it this way. I'm far more sure that they would do that if they get the opportunity than I'm sure that they'll have the opportunity in the near term. Um, do I think we should change the Supreme Court? A- absolutely. I mean, I think that you could expand it to 13, which is the number of circuit courts, uh, federal circuit courts that we have, uh, appeals mm-hmm. courts, I should say, in this country. That's what the original number of nine was uh, pegged towards. I think you can do, um, I think having term limits is also a good idea. I also think that Congress has to be a lot more aggressive in uh, jurisdictional matters. Like they can pass a law that says abortion is legal in this country cannot be encumbered. Um, there can be no laws passed that encumber a, uh, an abortion period, end of story. Um, and the Supreme court does not have jurisdiction over this matter. What, they can sorry, do that. what, what makes it that the Supreme court can't have jurisdiction over a specific thing? A federal statute can okay. limit the jurisdiction of the Supreme court particularly since they say it's not a constitutional issue. I guess that's true. 
And um, and so, you know, I mean, I guess theoretically the Supreme Court could rule like, no, we do have jurisdiction here, but they pretend like they defer to uh, Congress and Congress uh, determines jurisdictional issues on these things, you know, that are not uh, directly constitutional. Basically keeping one of the other branches in check, which is supposed to be how the system works. Theoretically, yeah. Theoretically. Interesting. Um, so I know you're not one to enjoy talking about politics and prefer talking about petty drama. So I'll move on to uh, more I appreciate of your favorite <laughs> All right. But I did want to ask you, uh, now that I have you on, a couple, a couple of fun things. Uh, the Tim Pool saga. Uh, you've debated Tim Pool, I think, twice, if I'm not mistaken, right? I think I've debated him only once, I think. Oh, I mean, I've time. interviewed him back during Occupy. I think I was the first oh, okay. person to ever put him on like a show. Oh, you gave us Tim Pool. <laughs> well, uh, it's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> but um, yes, in some ways I was responsible for that. I mean, to be honest with you, I think I also gave Glenn Greenwald his first um, – I think I gave Glenn Greenwald his first – um, national interview oh, wow. when I was on Air America. So, have you have you had an opportunity to watch the Alex Jones Q and A that you? Just I did, did actually. Yes, I did. Um, I um, is this what you want to talk about? This little saga. Well, I mean, there's many sagas to be had. I <laughs> well, I saw the impromptu ad. saga. Yeah, I saw the ad. And I tweeted out something like, um, and scene, that's a wrap. Right. And I saw an ad for Glenn interviewing uh, Alex Jones after the documentary premiered. And I, you know, my first career was in show business. And I was a, uh, a sitcom actor and I did some movies um, independence. And so, you know, I went to Sundance a couple of times. I went to a bunch of, uh, film festivals with my own movie. Um, and I have been to many of those interviews. I have participated in those interviews. They are all promotional. Yes. That's what they're there for. I mean, you know, it's conceivable that like the interviewer could ask hard questions, but they are definitionally promotional that's why they're done at the end of the movie as opposed to like in front of the audience it is a promotion for the movie that is explicitly what they are the interviewer can ask harder questions but everybody knows it's promotional so i tweeted that out which you know i think some people are like that's unfair you have no idea what he's going to ask which i think was you know okay that, that could be true, but he's still doing what I know to be a promotional interview. Yeah. I watched the interview. It was worse than I imagined. <laughs> I assumed he's going to like softball, 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 ask question. one question that he could arguably say, I held, you know, Alex Jones's feet to the fire. Not only did he not ask that question, he literally fed Alex Jones optional answers in the preface to his question that would have been beneficial to Alex Jones. And Alex Jones, on at least one occasion, 
was like, no, 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 that's not true. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I think it was like, you know, like, I, because we did a, 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 an extended video on, on, on two of the questions. One was January 6th. Mm-hmm. And Glenn was like, did you do like a deep dive into the, um, into the numbers and that, and then decide that's why uh, the, the election was stolen and go on about your whole narrative about that? Or was it the larger ethos of the mainstream media always lying and all of our establishment lying? And, and it felt like it was part of a whole and you were reacting to this. I mean, this is what we, we call a leading question in a court of law. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jones goes, no, no, it was, I knew this election was going to be stolen and, <laughs> you know, like, and it was obvious it was going to be stolen. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie about that. And Glenn's agenda thwarted, uh, because Glenn was just trying to build his own sort of like narrative about what, uh, and, and then with the, um, Sandy Hook thing. Oh, that one astonished He did me. almost the exact same thing where it was like, sometimes like you dig in because the establishment is just so horrible and this and that. Well, no, it was a mistake. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, look, I drink vodka and uh, smoke <laughs> cigarettes and take other things before I go on. And, 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 well, and, and, and incidentally, I want to say like I'm doing an impression, but I'm not joking about his response. That was literally his response. Oh, yeah. Um, he tried to and, reframe it as like a way, what did he call it? it? Is this a form of patriotic protest in your own way, Jones? You know, like, we're, is that how you were trying to do this? It, it was like patriotic was so protest. grotesque. Yeah. The whole thing was so grotesque because, like I say, I was a very early fan of Glenn Greenwald's. Well, I think I were. think that, you know, back when he was doing unclaimed territory, I, uh, I put him on Air America. We were on in New York and California and L.A. drive times uh, in L.A. We were on in Chicago and Miami and Dallas. I mean, we were uh, we had a very large audience and I would interview him and I was friendly with him. Um, you know, w- we would have dinner, uh, you know, when we would run into each other, like uh, places like Netroots or uh, or, or wh- wherever. And, you know, um, and, you know, when he was no, you know, when uh, Rachel Maddow no longer would have him on. And, and I'm no huge Rachel Maddow fan. Uh, I mean, I. Uh, I never went on her show to the extent that I ever worked with her. It was at Air America. And, you know, I think our sensibilities clashed a little bit. Um, but when he was no longer, you know, invited back onto Rachel Maddow's show um, and got pushed back, I think it was maybe over the Snowden stuff. I'm not 100 percent sure, frankly. Uh, you know, something turned in, in him and he resented that. And, you know, look, there's a lot of narcissism in, in, in doing any of this type of stuff. And I've known people who, um, have gotten some measure of celebrity and fame. The vast majority of those, well, no, I mean, I know people both in show business, uh, maybe more so in show business, but I knew I gave Chris Hayes his first, uh, uh, media appearance ever, uh, too. And, oh, wow. uh, you know, I knew Rachel Maddow when she was, I mean, so I know people who've gotten fame both in like the, the sort of the news business and the entertainment business. And some people react to it, uh, well, 
and other people um, react to it poorly. Um, and it's like there's some type of latent thing inside them. And when they get exposed to uh, fame and celebrity, it, um, it, it, it creates a higher level of narcissism. And I've seen this, you know, go both ways. Um, in fact, I sort of made a movie about that uh, dynamic in, in, uh, in L.A. And like uh, and, and so he went that direction. And, and to continue on with that specific story, Matt Taibbi mm-hmm. uh, DMs me on, uh, uh, on Twitter. And I used to be good friends with Matt. He did his podcast out of the studio. Um, and, uh, and I interviewed him for, uh, it's, you know, for, for 15 years. Um, and the last I had talked to him was, uh, around the time, uh, I think following the Mueller investigation when he had written something to the effect of like, um, uh, so-called Russiagate uh, is the greatest uh, media hoax since weapons of mass destruction or bigger than mass weapons of mass destruction. And I took issue with that. Somebody had asked me at the end of the show and I commented on it. And then I uh, I contacted him afterwards and I said, look, I, I criticized your piece on there and I want to give you an opportunity to come on the show. Um, and we had an exchange that I was rather surprised about. Uh, I'm not going to give the details. Uh, but it, it at this time surprised but, that it was pleasant um, or surprised that it was confrontational. I was surprised at his reaction to all of it, frankly. Okay. Um, and some of it I understood, you know, like he, I, I genuinely believe that he was very, very unfairly, um, I want to say me too, but there was no accuser, but okay. he was accused just broadly speaking, uh, of, you know, of, of, uh, you know, sexual harassment, but there was no accusers. It was all based upon something that, um, you know, uh, his uh, writing partner had written in their book, um, that was was supposed to be satirical. Um, and so I think that was very difficult for him and understandably so. Um, and, uh, so anyways, we had an exchange that lasted for a couple of days and it, it, it ended with me saying like, look, you know, uh, let's get a drink. Open-ended, uh, invitation on my show as always. Um, and had not heard from him until he DMs me on Twitter to say, you know, like regarding this tweet, have you seen the movie? Do you know if it's flattering or unflattering? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And I actually for a moment thought like, Oh, this is like a, this is the way that you make a, you know, reproachment um because i had seen the interview at that point and i was like there's no way this is anything other than sort of like you know i don't know sort of an exercise Mm -hmm. and i responded like well to be honest with you that tweet was not have anything to do with the movie um i haven't seen the movie no 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 i said the tweet had nothing to do with the movie i wasn't commenting on the movie i was commenting on the fact that he's doing a promotional interview and to be fair, I prejudged it before I saw it, but I have seen it since. And it's my worse. question to you is, have you seen it? Because it's <laughs> fucking embarrassing. Yeah. And um, it's, it's atrocious. And he writes back, 
So I take it. The answer is no, you haven't seen the movie. Uh, and I'm like, no, I haven't seen the movie. Did you watch the interview? No response, no response. And then I'm like, oh my God, this guy is writing me because he's writing a piece on how people <laughs> oh, no. have prejudged. <laughs> and so I write back, dude, is this, are you, was this inquiry because you're writing about, you know, uh, about am I on, this? Am I on the record, basically? Yeah. Yeah, am I on the record? And he writes back, yep. And I'm like, okay, have a nice day. Wow. And, and I was really like, look, any other reporter sends me a question like that, that I haven't had a personal relationship with. I assume this is on the record. Yeah, of course. And there was nothing I said to him that I didn't, I, that I had a problem with being on the record, but I'm just like, Oh my God, motherfucker. You're so deep in this shit. Like, really? You're coming at me like that. Mm-hmm. Aside from it being a garbage take. And so, uh, I posted, uh, uh, you know, I wrote about our exchange on Twitter in anticipation for his piece coming out. It came out and frankly, the piece, his piece was also an embarrassment. I mean, the review of the film may have been good. I didn't see the film. Um, his take that people shouldn't watch it, that reporters are against, you know, just even exposing themselves to it. That's the assertion, the proof Paul Krugman tweeted something like Paul Krugman is not a reporter. He's a celebrity economist. That's not backing up your assertion about reporters, not looking into incels or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I made it clear to him that I wasn't commenting on the, uh, the movie, which was obvious because if I want to comment on the movie, I would have commented on the movie, not the advertisement with Glenn Greenwald. Cause he's not in the movie. Yeah. And I was commenting on the, on the question answer. And frankly, like the issue isn't whether you walk on stage with Alex Jones. I've mentioned this before. I, you know, I will go on television with despicable people. If I get a chance to argue, there is one time in my entire career where I was on television with a despicable person and did not have the opportunity to argue with them. I went on, uh, Steven Crowder. No, no, no. It was, uh, I think it was, um, uh, I can't remember. Maybe it was, maybe it was Melbourne's show. I think it was. And I was on, I was invited onto Melbourne's show and sometimes he does some segments that are sort of like, I don't know, uh, panel-y. I was not informed who was on the panel. On the TV, as I'm sitting in the studio, Bill Crystal shows up. Oh. And, um... That was the only time I've ever appeared on, you know, like uh, at the same time as somebody who I wasn't able to argue with. And I told them that doesn't happen to me again. I don't go on in that way. Like I don't go on where we're both smiling. Like that's not happening. Either I'm upset or he's upset uh, after the end of that, uh, that, that segment. But so I have no problem with people going on and I have no problem with interviewing you know, despicable people. I'm going to have, uh, you know, the governor, uh, a libertarian tomorrow on the program who's running for governor in New York. I don't mind, uh, that, but, uh, the, the problem is when you leave them unchallenged Yeah. and, um, Glenn Greenwald uh, and, and Taibbi said, you know, there's a, there's a problem with deplatforming. I, I'm sorry. I don't think there is a problem with deplatforming. Um, you know, Alex Jones is not deplatformed. 
I just watched an interview with him. There's a documentary about him. Uh, if you've got a problem with Google being able and YouTube uh, and Twitter to being able to shut people out, which I do, frankly, yeah. uh, the solution is don't allow them to be the town square. Yeah. You chop them up into small pieces. You practice antitrust. But um, or broadly speaking, I mean, I'm happy to expand, you know, sort of some measure of 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 civil rights, uh, you know, a legislation that would inhibit uh, property uh, more extensively. I'm happy to do that, too. But that's not what they advocate. Right. I mean, they all just try and hide the ball and make it about this corporation is evil as opposed to that corporation. No, they're all like sharks. Yeah. They're all dead. They have no they they they. You know, that concept, good corporation, bad corporation, that's libertarianism. Mm -hmm. That is feudalism. Mm -hmm. That is just like, you know, like they don't want to have the government in any way inhibit uh, corporations. They want to engage in a culture war and make certain co uh, corporations bad or not. They will use government as a way of punishing their, uh, their you know, the enemies they don't like. I mean, this is right out of Mount Pelerin. This is the original neoliberal uh, uh, edict where, you know, we and libertarian edict, frankly, where we're OK with government um, controlling, uh, you know, certain exercising their power to inhibit um, certain competitors. But we, you know, we just don't want them to regulate an industry. Well, that's, that's different. What, that, well, I was going to say that's different than you celebrating if, say, Richard Spencer no longer gets to talk about, you know, a Holocaust denial or something like that's even though it's a private corporation that chose to do that doesn't mean that you can't also be satisfied that that happened to Richard Spencer or that happened to Alex Jones in that case. Right. Without a like, doubt. Yeah, because I find Without that's the pushback doubt. you get from the other side, from the free speech absolutists. It's usually like, well, yes, but if they go after Alex Jones, soon they'll go after all of us. I was like, well, they okay. can go. They Here's can. The <laughs> they can They've go after any of us. They've gone after the, all of us. Yeah. They've already gone after all of us, all of this, like all of the, the sort of cancel culture stuff and uh, the deplatforming stuff. The difference is now is that 30 years ago, you don't get scheduled in the first place. So they never have to cancel you. You show up at the door, um, you know, like you show up at the door of the, t of, of, of the New York Times 20 years ago. And you're like, I advocate for trans rights. Guess what column you're not getting? Yeah. You're not an opinion column. Like you don't get an opportunity to be canceled because you never get scheduled. You don't get past step one of that process. So they were already pre-canceling people. It's just that, you know, we've had values and mores and morals and culture evolves and certain people who were shut out of the conversation before both as speakers and audience um, are now like gaining some traction and 20 years from now, there'll be less cancel culture because it will be considered like, no, you cannot advocate for, you know, um, uh, 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 black people to be uh, second-class citizens. You can't advocate for white people, uh, for for women to be second-class citizens. You can't advocate for uh, transgender people uh, to be, you know, denied housing or uh, health care or whatever it is. 
Um, Sounds pretty 1984. 20, 30 years ago, you could not get column space if you advocated for a lot of this stuff. 50 years ago. I mean, that's that's the way it's worked. And so, like, this idea that it's going to spread to you, I got news for you. It already has. <laughs> you know, it, it's like it, it is it's already baked into the cake. Um, Alex Jones and his reactionary stuff. I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, uh, so I, I, um, I don't think that there should be a, a corporately owned entity that controls the discourse period. And so, uh, there's only one way to really deal with that. And that is to make sure they don't control the discourse by breaking them up. And if that means that like, oh, darn, I can't reach everybody I want to on Twitter. Well, boo hoo. Mm -hmm. I've heard the same argument, and I think Glenn's made it towards uh, Joe Rogan saying, you know, the liberal establishment despises him because he's an independent voice with no oversight. And I'm always like, he's owned by the largest music streaming platform on the internet who censor his episodes. They choose, like, it's this one corporation good, one corporation bad, but there's still a corporation that owns Alex Jones, right? Uh, sorry, Joe Rogan right now at the moment. He, he could go back to being independent, but I just, I don't understand this kind of pick me for corporations. Which ones are going to be the good ones, the benevolent ones that allow us to do what we want, you know, say the N-word, and then the other ones are going to be the, you know, the, the woke moralist corporations that are, you know, moving with the Overton window or shifting with yeah, it. Yeah, well, I mean, that is, uh, I think, probably the most substantive, uh, you know, uh, critique of, of Glenn saying that. The other aspect of it is um, the idea that, like, liberal elites hate Joe Rogan uh, because he's an independent voice. No, I mean, to the extent that I have an issue with Joe Rogan, and I don't think he's, I think he's, uh, you know, somewhat different from, let's say, a Crowder or whatnot, is that mm -hmm. dude's in over his head. Yeah, I'm fine with old Joe Rogan's get high, talk to your comedian buddies. Uh, but uh, you probably shouldn't weigh in on like, you know, public policy in terms of like health stuff. If you don't know what you're talking about or, you or civil rights said, issues, like I'm an idiot. People are an idiot to listen to me. Well, OK. I mean, uh, but yes, he is. It is really a question of like whether this corporation wants to also engage in that because Spotify, like you say, they're not. They're not an independent voice. They're a corporation. And the pressure's not on Joe Rogan now. The pressure's on Spotify. Do you want uh, to be basically that your business model? You're making money off of telling people um, fables about, uh, you know, life and death situations. And uh, again, it's like, you know, I, I, I don't think Joe Rogan threatens uh, you know, you know, really anybody other than like, you know, when he talks about, uh, don't get a vaccine, like people's health. Um, but well, and, and his war on trans people too is pretty shit has been for a yeah, while. Yeah. I, 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 yes. I mean, I, I think that's as, uh, you know, sort of, uh, 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 as problematic, but, uh, you know, there is, I think like you can, you know, you can make him a, uh, pariah uh, over that on some level. I, well, I think it's, I, I think it's, I think it's, well, maybe it's not easier to push back on that in the same way. Um, but, uh, certainly the idea that Spotify publishes him gives more credibility 
to his anti-vax stuff. Yes. In, in a way, because it's sort of like, well, they would never put out, it's one thing for this guy to have a racy opinion about, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's transphobic, but he's just making jokes and stuff like that. Like it, it's easier for him to get away with that and, and Spotify to get away with that. Right. I mean, they, they do it with Chappelle, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Netflix, but when you're talking about like, it's a pandemic and you're giving medical advice, you're a corporation. Like, I mean, that to me is like, uh, uh, there's, there's more leverage there, but yes, ultimately it's all just like, it's just, uh, the the most upsetting thing about Glenn is his disingenuousness now where he used to have like a lot of integrity in my estimation about certain things, you know, that, that people could find annoying or extreme or whatnot. Um, you know, I'm not a free speech absolutist, but I'm not convinced that he is either, frankly, uh, yeah. as much as it is in service of some other agendas, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, um, I'm not, I, 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 I don't know if the moment has come yet for that also to go down by the wayside, but he uses these things. Um, being a free speech absolutist is definitely more helpful to people with money than yes. uh, people without, uh, yeah. within our society. I can tell you that. Um, I know I've had you on here for a while, Sam, you've been so generous with your time. I had one last topic I wanted to ask you about, and it's the most serious sure. one. We, we got to talk about Crowder. And what a fucking okay, nightmare. Of course. <laughs> but I just, I want to know a little bit behind the scenes because I know the history of it. I know the two of you were supposed to debate for a very long time. And then that's where the cold feet Crowder stuff came from. And that his own dad is yeah, his manager that, and doesn't the, want the cold to interact. Crowder was actually a quote. Okay. Um, from the booker from Politicon. Okay. And I played the audio on a video. I, we, we slowed it down. I, when I'm sitting here, I record everything. Right. right. Well, although I'm not recording this, uh, but it's okay. I, I got a copy. So yeah. You got a backup, but yeah. like when I get phone calls or stuff like this and, and with the Crowder thing, like we got booked, everything was fine. They had basically given me details. He had signed off on it. And then I didn't get like, I'm like, okay, what's, um, you know, I, there was one, I was like, where's, you know, like maybe I was asking for flight information or whatnot. Like, and there was a delay in their response. And then I'm like, she's like, can I call you? That's what it was. I emailed and she said, let's set up a call. (laughs) And when you get a call in that situation, it's always like, there's a problem. And that's why I think I recorded it. And then that happened. I don't know, like three or four years ago. I can't remember exactly when it was. Well, it must've been pre, it was definitely pre pandemic. Um, and Maybe it was in Arizona. Maybe they had moved Politicon because I decided not to go. If I wasn't going to get to debate Crowder and it wasn't in L.A. at the time, I wasn't interested. Um, and then I got uh, Gavin McGinnis. I heard from Gavin McGinnis's producer, and I was quite sure it was not Gavin's producer. I was quite sure it was Gavin. Um, and I knew Gavin back in the day when he was a, a vice guy. And even subsequent to that, he was friends with, uh, uh, other friends of mine who are comedians and hung out with him. I don't know, half a dozen times maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also knew everything that was going on with Gavin's, uh, you know, uh, personal life to some extent because of 
these friends that I had who uh, ultimately were not friends with him, you know, when he really made his big turn. But anyways, so I had a very good sense. It was Gavin and Gavin was, uh, trying to rehabilitate his, um, his image. And so I got invited to go on his show where he would be the moderator. Yeah. Okay. It shoots in New York. I live in Brooklyn to get into Manhattan is by subway. Like I can get to Midtown in, I don't know, 35 minutes. It will cost me $2 and 75 cents. I do this quite often. Mm-hmm. He wants to pay me five grand uh. to go on his show. And then I was like, this is a fucking reformation project. Like I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, like, like when I realized like this, like, like how, like what was going on? Like I'm not, like, I'll go on again. I will yeah. go on. I will debate Gavin, but I'm not going to go on to pretend like he's some type of like moderator Yeah. because he literally is trying to moderate himself in people's eyes. Yeah. Like I'm not, uh, you know, a, a fucking white supremacist. I'm just a guy who wants to hear both sides. But, when I get shit like that, generally I don't respond. I have a producer response, sort of not unlike <laughs> what I think he was doing. Yeah. And so my fake producer was talking to his fake producer. And uh, I wrote back, the boss really would prefer to, you know, debate uh, Gavin unless you can get somebody good. And they wrote back, well, what about Steven Crowder? And, uh. and, my fake producer said, I think I could convince him to do that. <laughs> and they're like, great. Cause Steven is scheduled to come in, uh, in, you know, uh, this date. Could your boss do that date? Yes, I could. Or, yes, he could. <laughs> and then, uh, looks like Steven's not willing to do it with you. Uh, Gavin's really pissed and blah, 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 but Steven won't do it. Blah, blah, blah. Now these people, Gavin didn't know my history with Crowder. I, at, at that point I had not gone public with the cold free Crowder audio. Oh, okay. And, um, I think shortly after that I did it because I had two instances <laughs> two of events. him backing out of shit <laughs> and, and that started the cold free Crowder. And then sometime, I guess it was over, probably around this time last year. um, Ethan's producer, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. When Ethan got into it with Crowder, Ethan's producer said, can I just say, because I know Stephen's watching this, debate Sam Cedar, because he was, I guess, watched some of Majority Report. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, exciting. Like, I wasn't really, I, I didn't I didn't know H3M3 because I'm, you know, I'm, Massive fan. I'm not quite a boomer, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm up there and I don't, I'm, I'm just, you know, uh, and, um, but I was excited, you know, uh, that, you know, we were getting like introduced to a, a different audience and that, you know, people were giving Crowder shit. That was fun. <laughs> and then Ethan contacts me, uh, and he's like, Crowder wants to, uh, debate me and, uh, I want to bring you on the, the stream. I want him to show up. And I was like, okay, let's do that. And, um, this part of the story I think is pretty well known, but we ended the show. It was on a Monday. At like 1 p.m., I think, was the original debate schedule. And we ended the show at 12.45. Said we're not doing a fun half today, and we're ending early. 
And, um, you know, we get brought onto the Zoom or whatever it is. I don't know how they, you know, they have quite an operation there and they brought us in. And uh, Ethan's like, he's late. I don't think he's coming. I'm like, why is that? He goes, I think he's, he says, I think he's afraid of you. And I'm like, what? How could he possibly, first of all, why would he think that, that, that you would do this? And second off, like the dude's like afraid of me. I don't think so. <laughs> and then we get, then he gets a call. Uh, something happened with uh, Crowder's twins. Like uh, his, his wife was pregnant and they right, had to right. rush to the hospital but they rescheduled for next Monday at noon and we're sitting there and Ethan's like, he's, he, he, he saw that you went off the air and I'm like, no man, there's no way. That's insane. He would say that his kids are like his wife's in jeopardy. And then like, as the week went on, I'm like, it is weird. Like I'm trying to imagine the situation where like my wife's pregnant and it's enough of an emergency that I've got to rush to the hospital. Am I yelling back to my producers, just reschedule for next uh, Monday at, at noon? No, I'm, you know, like, I'm, I'm like, we'll deal with it later. Like, you know, like, you know, I don't have to give them a date. Yeah. I got to go deal with my, you know, I, I, you know, this emergency. But, you know, you never know when you speculate about stuff like that. And so this time, though, we pre-recorded the whole show. And launched it at noon as if it was live. We, we played a joke on our audience. Oh, wow. We did the first half, the interview. I pre-recorded it. We did the news, which we don't do generally on our pre-record shows because, you know, we pre-record it. We just play it when we're on vacation. But we did the news in the morning. And, you know, I made sure I wore the same shirt as the interview and all this, <laughs> the whole thing. And... We show up and he shows up five minutes late to see if I'm still on air. Wow. And I am on air. And then during the confrontation, he admits, he says, oh, that's why last week you, you ended your show early. And, and, I, and, and then I was like, holy <laughs> fucking God. Not only is this guy so freaking nervous and look, I was willing to debate the topics that he was going to debate Ethan about. Like if the debate is genuinely about change my mind, about mm -hmm. wanting to know the issues about his whole shtick about like, you know, who cares who you're debating? Yeah. Who cares? Right. I mean, like who cares? Because any one person can make a, as decent a point as another. And I, I, I was willing to, to talk about whatever you want to talk about in that regard. And the idea that he was so flustered that he admitted that he was monitoring my show because he was so worried. Like, dude, you had a week where you were convinced that I was going to ambush you. Why didn't you just prepare and, <laughs> and reverse ambush me? Like, instead of saying like, oh no, Sam Cedar, what a fucking nightmare. He could have been like, you know what? This is great Yeah. because I wanted to debate you and didn't want you to get any benefit from it. And now you won't. You're on somebody else's stream. You're on Ethan's stream and my stream. Nobody on your channel is going to get to see this. I will continue if you promise 
not to play this on your channel. And I would have been absolutely, okay, you got it. I mean, he could have dictated any term. Like they, he said, I knew this would happen. Like he told all his buddies in the room or something. And it's like, well, if you knew this was happening, why wouldn't you take the, that opportunity to school me in front of everybody? Teach me a lesson, teach Ethan a lesson, tell me I can't use it on my, I would have been fine with that. I don't give a shit. That's the thing is that these people don't understand. I'm not there to build my channel. I'm there to ruin his. Yeah. I'm there to make him look like an asshole in front of his audience. And this is, he knows that. That's, but that's why, what, that's what happens so much worse than you ever could have imagined. Right? Like, did you see it playing well, out that he way? He blew it. He blew yeah. it. I mean, he was, a, he, you know, but that's why, that's why they won't have me on. Mm -hmm. They're not afraid that I'm going to, you know, school them, uh, in terms of like, uh, you know, uh, the topic they know, I don't give a shit about being back on their channel or whatnot. That's why Rogan won't have me on. Rogan knows, not only Rogan knows who I am. I, I used to play softball with a dude, uh, back in Boston when we were comedians. Oh, no way. Yeah. And at one point, like I reached out to him when I was seeing somebody in LA after I got divorced, I was seeing somebody in LA and I wanted an excuse to go out there that I could write off his business. And so I asked Aaron, <laughs> like introduce me to Rogan. And we had one brief exchange or whatnot. But the reason why Rogan doesn't want me on, the reason why uh, Tim Pool doesn't want me, the reason why Crowder doesn't want me on is because they know that I don't give a shit mm -hmm. about getting invited back on which means that I have no respect for like, you know, whatever it is that they expect out of like whatever their size of their platform buys them. Right. Which is like, people want access. You know, that's why, uh, you're not going to see people go on and, and, and I don't think I would be an asshole to, to Rogan, I was respectful to Tim Pool too when I had debated them. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. like I, 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 if there isn't anything in particular they've done to me, I'm not going to do anything in particular to them. But I'm also not going to let up. I'm not going to, you know, in any way back. calculate like because I'm fine. Mm -hmm. My show is as big as I had ever could have hoped, and uh, I like it. Um, I made a decent amount of cash as a, in show business. Um, I've saved, I don't need to have a bigger platform, mm -hmm. but I do see as part of my job as to get between them and those 17 year old boys who, who watch them, uh, and, and redirect them and, and realize, you know, because they all, they all basically spend most of their time talking to each other. Yeah. And if you're an outsider and you're watching that as they talk to each other, they validate each other and they validate each other's ideas. And you and I, because we do this for a living, we, we know what's going on there. Like we know what's outside that bubble. But if you're a viewer and you stumble across one of them, you're going to get fed into the algorithm of the f others. Mm -hmm. And you're just going to assume like, this is the range of opinion uh, that exists. Yeah. 
like, you know, it goes from like Crowder to Shapiro to Rogan to Ruben to, you know. And Ruben, uh, Ruben used Peterson. to be a lefty. So, so did Tim Pool. So you get the lefty perspective yeah, these there, guys right? Used to be yeah. lefties. I mean, so they saw the light. So, and I'm, I'm getting the lefty perspective from them and they agree about all these things. Mm-hmm. And you can't blame, you know, somebody who's like 15, 16, 17, 18, just getting into this stuff, you know, like to get caught up and assume that this stuff is all correct. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like my job to come in and like say to whatever percentage of those audiences, like, nah, dude, there's another opinion. And, mm-hmm. um, th- I think on some level they understand that. Like they, they pretend it's like, uh, you know, Prager, like, I'm not going to make Sam Cedar, uh, more famous. Are you fucking kidding me? Do you think like anybody in your old people's audience are going <laughs> to, are going to come and uh, watch my shit? No, they're not going to. But what's going to happen is that like younger people are going to see you on other things and they're going to realize like, wait a second, there's different opinions here that mm-hmm. I'm not getting access to and they're not addressing them. That's what mm-hmm. he doesn't want. Yeah, that's fair. So, Wow. That is wild. I had no idea about all the lore. Um, I just have one link, one last thing to ask you about, Sam. I know you're already self-aware of this, so I won't get in trouble. Uh, and this is not a gotcha, but as you know, this entire show is made possible because we are the largest unlicensed Sam Cedar waifu body pillow uh, manufacturer and uh, uh, you know network. I I understand that you still haven't given us the license to produce these and that we're doing it unauthorized. But I did want to know your opinion if you like the 2.0 model that we've been working on for a little while here. This one has both the Sam Cedar uh, posit. Uh, it can be wrapped around a regular pillow, so it doesn't need to be the full-sized ones that were much more popular. These ones are just for an int- kind of like an intro uh, to the body pillow waifu uh, scene. And you can start the- with one of these and then move on. I- I- I'd assume you'd assume, like, you'd start with this. What are people doing with those? Well, I-, I-, I don't want to say that on air, but mostly sleeping. Most- mostly sleeping. Mostly? Yes. Most- Is I would that assume- your personal one? I don't want to answer that on air either, but I... <laughs> But if it was, it would be just for sleeping. I, I, I'll say that. Um, and right. yeah, All just right. uh, our, we're very proud of our artists' work, and uh, we we think that uh, you know it, it, it's a good representation on some level. I'd like to. Yeah, no, I think that um, that looks an awful lot like me, and um, I'm I'm in favor of it. Of course, I mean, I, well, let me refer let me rephrase that because I don't want to. Uh, I will reserve all the rights for the lawsuit. Obviously, uh, to uh, recapture uh, the profits of that. But um, were I not someone who had a vested interest in maintaining the integrity of my intellectual property and my um, my image uh, and my trademarked uh, posit catchphrase spelled both ways, incidentally, <laughs> where I have it trademarked. Um, so you can't escape it by misspelling <laughs> it in that way, because frankly, it's a, it's vocalized. So it is, it is whatever yeah. reserving all those rights. I would say thumbs up. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. That, that literally welcome. changed my life. Well, Sam, <laughs> where can people find you? Where can they see your work? Where can they enjoy your wonderful commentary on a daily basis? Uh, the majority report. There it is. There it is, everybody. Uh, I honestly, I can't, right here. <laughs> I I can't thank you enough. That was an absolute pleasure to finally talk to you one on one. Uh, it was my my fun. I really enjoy your work too, man. Thank you no, thank uh, for you. what you do, and uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Sam. Take it easy. All right, take it easy. Woo!
Well, we were very close to getting, I think, a full licensing deal there. Didn't work out this time, but I think I've set the groundwork. That's my that's my plan. I've set the groundwork. He says he's already kind of okay with the design. Once we get like model 3.0, and you can see he's the full size one, the one that actually will have like the arm for you know cuddling and whatever. I mean, you know, everyone everyone likes a little bit of that. Uh, I, I think we could I, we could maybe make some headway. Well, you know, we'll see. It's only a matter of time. So you've just been listening to an episode of The Surf Times. And if you enjoy it and want to see The Surf Times, you can go to wearesurfs.com or watch the live shows at thesurfs.tv. And also everywhere social media is sold, basically thesurfs.tv. You'll find us there, twitter.com slash thesurfstv, for example. It would also help us out tremendously if you could leave a good review of this podcast if you enjoyed it, either on, I don't know, iTunes or wherever you're podcasting. Apparently it does help. And yeah, we hope to see you soon. To our gods, Xander Corvus and Peyton L. Just, we are prepared to conduct many a human sacrifices in your honor. To our monarch, Tom Spiker, we are but your humble yet incompetent gestures, trying in vain to bring some levity into your life. To our lord, Trevor R., we give you thanks for this meager plot of land for us to toil away our pathetic existence. To our brave knights, Carl Wauer, Tony, DM Rivera, Resident Scarecrow, Sir Nickus, Mayred, Cheryl Alvarez, Ruben Kelly, Brandon, Words Greenwood, Nate, Hegbird Celine, Matthew Scarborough, Stellar Vision, Ariane McCarthy, Daniel Sutton, Coulter Smith, Jenna Tal, Quiet185, Anna Loves Riley, Omni, Riley and Anna, Poodlehawk, The Tim Caucus, Multimondi, Trevor Janis, Lemmy101, Anthropophojack, Saren42, Catherine, Ramon Acosta, Incosin, Agent NDN, Violent Orchard, Political Puppy, Andreas Chiringuito, Zach Christensen, Todd Buckingham, and Todd Lajeunesse. We salute our mighty heroes off to conquest some bread in some far off land.